0: Welcome to Neurosalience, the OHBM podcast. Welcome to the Organization for Human Brain Mapping Neurosalience podcast. I'm Peter Banatini, and here I discuss all things brain imaging with scientists around the world. Today on this episode, I'm excited to talk with Malar Chakravarty all about the imminent relaunch of the journal Aperture Neuro, which a few years ago was created and supported through OHBM. Sometime last year, it was clear that the platform we chose to support Aperture Neuro was completely inadequate. So we decided to shut it down, regroup, find a new platform, modify the editorial team and relaunch. Malar and I, along with members of the Aperture Oversight Committee saw this through and in the process received quite an education. While Millar was handling the loose ends of aperture neuro, he was also serving as chair of the OHBM program committee for the upcoming meeting in Montreal, as well as leading his computational brain anatomy laboratory at the Cerebral Imaging Center, which is affiliated with McGill University. His studies focus primarily on brain anatomy, how it matures, how it ages, and how alterations are related to neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease, as well as schizophrenia. He has also produced and disseminated many useful tools, atlases, and data sets. So he's clearly a rising star and a leader in the field. And his work positions him well to have the broad perspective that's useful to leading this journal. Well, I'm starting uh, out as editor-in-chief of Aperture Neural hoping to bring on board my past experience with NeuroImage. Melara will be taking over as Editor-in-Chief when I step down. So in this podcast, we discuss what happened with the first version of Aperture Neuro, what lessons were learned and what the relaunched version of Aperture Neuro offers that is truly unique and valuable to the field. It's nonprofit and open access with an APC of $800 for members. It provides an avenue for many different kinds of papers, from typical original research to editorials, tutorials, conference summaries, book reviews, registered reports, and more. It will be heavily weighing the assessment of submitted papers based on their utility and transparency, rather than just their novelty. In the future, Aperture Neuro aims to seamlessly support other objects, such as code, data, notebooks, and videos, and is currently looking into mechanisms for handling these without compromising on quality or efficiency. I hope you enjoy it. Just to start out a little bit, um, I've been working with Millar for a number of years as far as working through all the issues in terms of the the previous version of the journal and this one. And, And just a frame things a little bit to begin, just to talk a little bit about Malar. Uh, As I, as I, you know, I don't know exactly uh, when your name came up. I think uh, Tanya, when she was editor-in-chief, she invited you to come on uh, to help her out. And I think that it became very quickly uh, realized that, uh, uh, that you're pretty much the, you know, sort of like the perfect person to, to head this up. And, uh, and I think that, you know, it, 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 in other contexts, I've, I've had to, you know, looking at your work and other things like that, it, it seems that, you know, the, the way I picture your work and the way your interests is, it's exactly at the, at sort of like the nexus of, of the field. I mean, it, it, of the entire field. I, I think that, you know, you do, you know, you, sure, your, your focus is more on computational neuroanatomy, but you, you know, you work with. Mouse models, animal models. Uh, you you work with uh, FMRI. You 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 do basic research. You build tools. You build databases, and you work with uh, clinical applications. So so that's that pretty much covers almost uh, almost everything, and and on top of that, you have experience with um, uh, uh, being a handling editor with NeuroImage, which is which is great experience and a, a great perspective of of their culture uh, of editors, which is which is outstanding your work is uh i just have to mention this right now I, I was actually you know just doing some of my research a little bit you know as i've known you i've worked with you as well but um and and not that these things are, are important but uh but they are into so, at some level is that you know i just put you into google scholar and you know your 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 citations are just it's it's just amazing it's like you start from zero at around 2010 and now it's like this exponential <laughs> increase up to, uh, uh, you know, 4,000 citations last year, um, you know, yeah. and so it's been your very high impact work. And also, uh, and I've had so much fun. I've really appreciated working with you as well. I feel yeah. lucky as far as that's concerned.
1: Yeah, thanks, thanks, Peter. I can only say I've, I've really like loved working with you. of it's, it's, uh, it's been such a learning curve, which I think we'll get into in this podcast as well. On how to start a journal and what that even means because i think that's almost something interesting for the community to know and uh i can only be mildly or extremely embarrassed by that wonderful introduction thank you very much (laughs) it's all true so
0: yeah so let's just why don't we get started with um with aperture Neural. it first started 2021 you know right before the glasgow uh yeah HBM meeting. The initial version of Aperture Neuro started way before that. Uh, I remember being approached by jean Baptiste Pauline. Um, he had this vision of starting a open source, open access uh, publishing platform, as he calls it, to publish other objects, uh, uh, not only PDFs, but sort of to break that mold and sort of to to open things up. and you know, we're still holding on to that vision, but, you know, obviously as we'll talk about today, well, there's practical realities that we're trying to work with. And, and what we first and foremost want to do is make a, a, a really well functioning journal and then yeah. grow from there.
1: Yeah. I, I, but I think the vision of having, um, you know, this journal platform that doesn't just support PDFs, but supports the real type of things that make neuroimaging such a interesting field. Right. I mean, uh, a physicist, I'm an engineer. We're here talking about, you know, brain anatomy, brain function. And I think it's it's very unique that we have this field that's led by, you know, not just psychologists and neuroscientists, but also that has this give and take with the more technical side of, of things. And I think to me, that's always something I've loved. And and you can even, you know, even taking a bigger step back, if you look at kind of how people view neuroimaging, I think we're often considered to be um, kind of pioneers in, Cultural aspects of science, right? So, which are which I think is really important. So, whether it's you know uh, open science, inclusivity, uh, uh, data sharing, that kind of thing, you know, people kind of hold us on this pedestal, um, showing off what we've done and how it can impact science. So, I think having a journal that actually reflects that um, is really important. Um, so how do you give credit for data sharing? How do you give credit for writing code? I think that's that's a really important aspect of what we do. Um, and it's there in some journals, but not. it's not so explicit, I don't think. So I was really excited when Tanya White uh, contacted me. It must have been, I mean, the pandemic years are a bit of a blur, uh, but uh, it must have been in around 2021. And her vision for, she was the editor-in-chief at the time, uh, and her vision for Aperture Neuro was really to have kind of a real community engagement so that there were nice term limits for every aspect of things. And so her term limit would expire and then I would come in as the incoming editor-in-chief To so there'd be some overlap. And, and so we could kind of train people who were coming in um, in the next stages. And so, you know, unlike other journals and a lot of other journals, even journals that are kind of newer to our field now, no one in our, no one on our editorial board Uh, at any level is getting paid right all this stuff is really volunteer work uh in the truest sense of the word there's you know there's just us wanting to do good so um so they find people members of the community who want to do this uh very much altruistically is i think a real um really highlights kind of how our field is and and the support that different members of our field believe is important for for moving things forward Um, so yeah, Tanya brought me in, and and uh, you know through a you know through some of the challenges that uh, we had, kind of bringing the journal together in terms of I think staffing is a hard part, um, finding someone to actually be a journal manager, and that became apparent pretty early. And the reason for that is simple. I think if you're a big publishing house, um, one of the ones that gets talked about in the media a lot these days, for example, uh, you know you have a roster of uh, journal managers and 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 staff that basically can run the show, so we have to develop that from scratch. you know everything from who's gonna contact who's gonna help us contact authors reviewers, remind people for the reviews that kind of thing answer queries from authors um especially when so much the editorial board, board is really doing this out of the goodness and kindness of the time they have kind of crafted into their schedule for for this type of work um all the way from that to um, so you know basic communication things to things like um, making sure that uh, there's no plagiarism involved in any of the submissions, making sure that you know accepted manuscripts get typeset properly, uh, moving those in a workflow from accepted article to typesetting to proofs to onto website. I mean, I think it's easy to take for granted just how much work that actually is. Um, and so I think in the platform that we initially started in, I don't think, and I think a lot of people who've been around Aperture would agree that they weren't, wasn't necessarily well-equipped for handling this stuff. And, and so moving to kind of a, a better equipped platform, which is now hosted by Scholastica, which I think we're all really happy about, um, is, is one of the major changes that we've had. And so, um, I think we identified these problems early on, we started, investigating platforms uh i would say last i mean correct if i'm wrong but last fall
0: yeah um, i think wow. end of summer last fall um yeah. I, mean, I think that you know this is whole process of of you know we finally collectively uh and also just to just to um uh, mention myself i'm i was part of the what's called the aperture oversight committee when when tanya left uh you know she was she started up at the nih she has a you know a which was more time consuming, uh, you know, suddenly a, a more time consuming thing. So she stepped down. Um, uh, uh, there was some shifting around Tom Nichols is in charge of the oversight committee and my, and I'm, I, I'm the editor in chief for a while, uh, just to try to bring, uh, my experience from NeuroImage uh, at least perspective to, to help out. And then, then and Mal- Malai will take over. Um, but just to, um, yeah, there was a whole process also of, of, you know us sort of coming to terms with you know i think all of us are problem solvers and you know with our own labs and whatever we try to fix what we have and work with what we have and we're all struggling with this platform and and doing the best we can and realizing it's it just uh at some point we had to sort of all collectively realize hey this isn't working
1: <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> and then finally- that sounds about right and then i just think the amount of work that goes into finding a new platform, that's the fascinating part to me, right? I didn't, I didn't, it sounds, you know, this, I don't know how this sounds to like the casual viewer of us, like evaluating platforms in our copious amounts <laughs> of time. But um, it, it was fascinating to me, actually. It was fascinating to me that uh, there's this whole other world out there of people thinking about um, how to help people publish at all different types of scale, right? I mean, um, from the major, Publishing houses, all the way down to people who just want to who have a, a nice product that they want to sell and and help help academics communicate with each other because that's effectively what this is all about, right? Um, and so I was I was really surprised at just the breadth of stuff that was out there and what they can and can't do. Um, I think that was really fascinating to me, uh, yep. And just the the trade offs between the different platforms. Without so getting into like naming names and 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 you know, but but we did. Do an extensive search, and you know it is—it is fascinating just how you know, we we take for granted. I think as academics, you know, when you when you upload something onto a website, what kind of service that actually means, right? And so trying to recreate that in a small scale is is not trivial, um, yeah, even if we are problem solvers.
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was sort of an education in terms of you know as we sort of started thinking of platforms, we started thinking more carefully about okay, so what really are our yeah. needs? I mean, what specifically do we want? And we realized that things like, you know, uh, having a smooth workflow that's transparent and easy to work with in terms of, you know, how the editors communicate, how the, you know, what the experience is for the authors. Is it, you know, is it smooth? Is it, you know, is it all done through the website? You know, we even had a consultant uh, that was hired to that really newer stuff, um, you know, give us at least, uh, you know, a little bit better perspective as to what was out there. Uh, It was truly you know, it's funny. I've been with neuro. You know, when I was with NeuroImage, you just sort of jump in, and suddenly the papers come, and you work with the website and it's like this is great. Um, but this was really an education in terms of you know yeah. what goes on behind the behind the curtains. Uh, yeah,
1: I mean, I, I kind of feel like we deconstructed the process into every bit of minutia that you could, which was again, you know, fascinating in, in a lot of ways, right? I, I, and I think without having gone through that, I don't think it's, and maybe we can talk about this, you know, maybe some of the, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't want to leave the podcast. It's your podcast. We yeah, uh, you want to. <laughs> um, uh, but maybe um, one thing things we can talk about is, is, you know, some of the goals of Aperture outside of just being a publishing platform and by OHBM. because I think it's not until you see what, what it means to, engage with every part of that process that you realize that with some of the goals of Aperture Neuro, which is to not just host, you know, traditional PDFs, um, I guess there's two, not just host traditional PDFs and two would be to uh, keep the article publishing cost way down. And so, you know, it's worth, we, sh- you know, we should mention this at the beginning, is that the article publishing cost is 800 USD per paper, right? which is, you know, well below anything else that's Adjacent to our field in terms of open access publishing, um, yeah, and, and, and just to emphasize there, the goal is to
0: be just sustainable. Yeah, uh, you know we're not you know nonprofit or or anything like that. It's just simply to have the the you know the lowest amount that will pay for the platform, pay for the journal manager, and that's pretty much and other other costs associated with other things like you know copy editing and pleasure is checking and things like that. So, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. I think that's really important, right? Like when we talk about not-for-profit, we really are not-for-profit. Um, and, and there's, there's not a dime kind of going anywhere else except for into journal related activities. So I think that's, you know, that's, that's very unique, I think, um, on, on any scale. And then the other thing I think is that, you know, if we're talking about supporting code or, um, data sets or notebooks uh, in a dynamic or or static way, what that actually might mean. And I don't think it's, you know, how, how do we support those or videos, even how do we support those properly so that they're sustainable for the community so that there's standards, uh, by which things are, um, things are presented to the community. Um, and you know, the obvious checks on authenticity, quality, uh, um, and things like that. So, um, yeah, not 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 trivial. I think one thing that's also worth mentioning is that, in recognition of all that, after having seen, um, you know how challenging it is to just serve the basic stuff, you know, one one idea that you had was to bring on Renzo Huber, and I don't know if you want to talk about that. Um, yeah, um,
0: yeah. Just to well, well, just to to, to couch that. Uh, so one thing that's unique about Aperture Neuro is is that you know it offers a pretty you know, what we're trying to do is offer a pretty wide range of what you can submit. So, you know, everything from not only the original research, but, uh, you know, review articles, even book reviews, tutorials, conference workshop summaries, registered reports, editorials, even about papers or whatever, and replication studies, you know, among those. So, and and the other goal uh, that we're, so, you know, once again, with the original idea Of John Baptiste Pauline is is to really support uh, other objects uh, from code, data, notebooks, even videos, Uh, and we. That's still a work in progress. Right now, our idea is to is you know, right now it's basically having a uh, still a traditional PDF that has links to where those uh, things reside. Um, But so we've hired. uh, one of the editors uh, of the of the journal, and we should probably introduce who who the editors are. But um, before we do that, yeah, one of the editors is is Renzo Huber. He's a physicist. He's an expert in high resolution, high field imaging, um, and but he's also extremely uh, uh, energetic and innovative. And he really wants to. Uh, he's he's sort of put in charge of trying to figure out the best way. Of supporting other objects, um, and and that's there's once again as as Malara as, as you mentioned, um, yeah, there's uh, a lot to that. <laughs> you know, we can't really, we don't have a you know large, uh, we we haven't paid for large data spaces for saving the data, um, uh, and at the same time also like how do you re- yeah like you mentioned how do you review the code? I mean. Uh, will this be just links to github or things like that or or how will we describe it and how will we review how we describe it or even the code itself how deeply do you, re- do you review the code we have special code reviewers um, uh, do you have to you know try it out on data sets or things like that so we're still kind of working through this process uh, you know there's some uh, possible discussion of, of having other uh, not really preprint servers but sort of like having other uh, reposit- uh, repositories sort of work with us in, in, in that regard. Um, so it, it's all sort of a work in progress, and uh, Renzo is sort of uh, uh, leading the way on that.
1: While uh, while it's still a work in progress, I think it's like a, it's still exciting that we're thinking about that, and I think you know and wanting to do it properly for the community. And you know, I've, the first journal that I've heard of that has this kind of um, editor that's solely focused on how we expand. How do we do more for the community? And I think that's like a really exciting feature of, of what, we're, what we're hoping to do here. And I, I'm very proud of that. I think it's, it's very exciting. Um, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And I, I think actually also, right, that's that's an important thing too, is that uh, there's many journals associated with the field and sort of loosely associated with the community. But this, this journal, uh, right, has started through the community and we're constantly getting feedback and we really want it to be uh, sort of growing from, you know, sort of taking that same sort of vibe from the community, this special sort of uh, sense that, you know, you have all these disciplines. We're all talking to each other. We're all, you know, you know applying what we know to understanding the brain, uh, clinical applications. And, and so there's this, you know, this feeling that when you go to OHBM of, of, a, of you know, this, this sense of this vibrancy. And uh, we're trying to create a journal that reflects that.
1: Um, yeah. yeah that's, that's a nice description. I like that a lot. Because it is, it is an exciting time. Like, it's kind of like someone last, one of the times, I, went, I think it was in Rome when I went to OHBM. Uh, someone said that OHBM was really just summer camp for adult nerds. And it, it really, you know, yeah. just. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just, we're adult summer camp for nerds or something like that. And, uh, how do you, how do you translate that feeling into a journal? I feel like that's, that's a good way of thinking about what we're trying to do here. Um, yeah, making it exciting and dynamic and, and, and a, and a place for learning, right? Not just for prestige publication, for example.
0: Yeah. And all, and also, right. A place where, you know, we're a little bit closer to, to, in a, to trying new things, but very carefully, one lesson, you know, one hard lesson that we've learned is that we can't try to do too much too soon. Um, <laughs> you know, things sometimes fall apart. And so uh, we have to be very, you know, we're, and, and I think, Malar, you, you've emphasized this several times, is that, you know, we, we had to shut down, now we're starting up and we really, really have to get this right. And- Yeah,
1: we're, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm very committed to that as well. Um, and I, I know you are too. Um, no, and I, I'd like to get it right. You know, and I, I'd like you know, I'd like this to be the go-to venue for neuroimaging research in the coming years. Right? I mean, that's that's our goal. Uh, um, and neuroimaging research writ large, right? And in all the ways we just described, not just you know, here are my cool new findings, but here's how we got to the findings. Here's here's the code. You know, and and, and we have, um, for example, you know, one of the, one of the things that I quite liked in our Previous incarnation was, we had um, a bunch of papers written about, or a bunch of editorials written about the BWAS article, um, of, from varying viewpoints, right? Some very positive, some very negative, and everything in between, um, uh, or some just discussion oriented, as well, right? And they're on the website now, and, and should be perused. And I think you know if people want to think about what type of objects that we can. Um, we can support. You know, it, it can be something as simple as that, right? It can be how do we get a community perspective on some of these papers that are that are currently hot in the field and that are yep. driving discussion, you know, in our corridors, at our coffee breaks, and and whatever. So how do you bring that to the to the journal? Um, and people are by and large really excited to do that. You know, when when we asked around for uh, the authors to to write up those, you know, yourself included, um, uh, write up those editorials, I think. We didn't get very many no's. uh, And um, I was quite, it was was quite exciting to see how many people wanted to take on um, commenting on on that manuscript uh, because it had such a wide ranging impact media wise, um, academically, even in different, you know, I I got, I remember getting emails from different, uh, um, uh, from different, um, so now I live near a church and I, I don't know if you can hear the church bells. It's very obvious. Sorry. This, this will end in a few moments. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was really, I was really uh, enthusiastic. It was the enthusiastic response we got was really, really nice. So I really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah. And, and one can imagine and this is actually, you know, and this is something that, it, you know, we're a little bit more flexible in terms of, uh, you know, one can imagine. Right. Like you said, uh, you know, that BWAS uh, article caused a lot of discussion. You can imagine having you know special issues just focused around people writing their opinions on uh debating you know specific issues as they come up, and
1: yeah, uh, yeah, uh, no, it's I, I think that'd be and I think you know, yeah, I and mean, that's what the conference is for, that's what our community does really well, actually, and respectfully, too, right? It's not you not, know, we've all been to other meetings where you know you almost get an eye roll when certain people come to the the podium or. Or, or the microphone to ask questions and i don't think um we have that as much in our our community and i think you know having that kind of respectful engagement and discussion about the merits of of different articles and different academic lines of thinking is exciting right i mean that's what you want you want you want a conversation to happen
0: you know it's interesting because um you know as i look at ohbm I, I, it looks like you know the, it you know things have shifted a little bit i mean i think that uh, certainly, there's always this, but but it's become extremely young. Um, it's become very, you know, a lot of people are analyzing other people's data, using other people's code, you know, in, in novel ways. But still, there's, there's much more of a interconnectedness, uh, realizing that you can't just, you know, come up with, you know, you, you can, what people still do. But, you know, it's not just simply, oh, I got this novel finding. I'm going to push it. And uh, argue for this sort of thing. And, and you know, it's more, uh, you know, of course, we, you know, there's that that exists. But at the same time, there's more, oh, is this reproducible? Um, you know, is this, uh, you know, is this believable? How does this integrate with other modalities? How, you know, how can we lend insight into models that sort of tie into this? So it's very much interconnected. And, and I think one of the things I think we could talk about this as well is um, with the journal, And that's one thing we want to emphasize is that, you know, while other journals emphasize uh, just novel findings uh, and they weight their papers on, Oh, how novel is this? And we still think that's important, but um, you know, we also, and we, we just, you know, we're still thrashing this out, but it became clear that what we really care about is not only novelty, but, but utility and and transparency and ease of dissemination Uh, that, Will be rated highly in this in this journal as well.
1: Yeah. Your so. replication, reproducibility, all those things, right? And uh, um, which is why things like software notebooks become extremely important, right? Or even thinking about, you know, someone mentioned this the other day. Here's here's a novel finding from another another journal that uses neuroimaging data, you know, but there's nowhere to actually tell people about the workflow, right? I mean, one of my biggest pet peeves in publishing is that. You know, you start with the, certain journals, start with the results and have the methods kind of tacked on at the end as if they don't matter in some cases, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, exposing those things, I think, uh, you know, is, 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 is truly important. So,
0: yeah. And I think actually, uh, and, but, but but once again, the, the, the balance too, I mean, we certainly don't want this journal to become, you know, like purely, you know, there's, there's always a risk of falling into some sort of pattern like, oh, it's a purely big data meta-analysis journal, uh, we don't want that.
1: <laughs>
0: we want you know, everything from one-off experiments, interesting models, to everything you know in between, and and also one thing that's different, I think, in terms of uh, relative to other journals, is that uh, you know um, we're we also uh, I think are welcoming. You know, yes, we're a methods journal. Yes, we care about basic research, but we also very much care about. Clinical applications so not only from clinical research but you know i think you know we'll be open to um you know uh uh things like you know clinical studies as
1: well yeah Um, Yeah, and i don't see i think that's going to be really important because um you know our community needs a place to look at all that um and even think about where to publish and this is becoming an increasingly thorny issue right there's novelty now i think more than ever in publishing negative findings uh if you do it right um and when you do it right uh so i I, you know i think i think there's a lot of openness to that as well uh and thinking about that so especially negative findings in the context of you know um you know important findings in the field that that may have been underpowered or may have been You know improperly conducted and 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 thinking about how we can highlight some of those methodological issues alongside a negative finding right i think that's um that's clearly very important i think for for everyone in science
0: yeah yeah um and i think right i think this journal should is it aims to be the place where these types of things are are published and discussed and you know it's sort of like the the field getting perspective of itself uh, yeah, it's nice do <laughs> <I guess. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> this journal. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so just to take a, a um, we'll we'll continue that in a second. But I just want to make sure also that everyone knows. Um, you know, initially, you know, with the first iteration of the journal, we had a ton. We had a bunch of. We thought, okay, well, let's let's try to cover a wide range of expertise in our handling editors, uh, and we had a lot of handling editors. Um, and we realized that, that that model doesn't always work great because I think that at least from what I learned in neuroimage, it seems that if you're a little bit busy all the time, it, it really helps your efficiency and engagement and it helps create the culture of, of you know, having everyone talking and working with each other. Uh, so what we, what what Malara and I uh, did and, and we uh, choosing the, the editors is just parse it down and I'm just going to, if you don't mind, I'm just gonna list Yeah, them yeah it's great. um uh these are the hand editors. Molly Bright, who's uh you know, does acquisition and physiology, Katie Chang, uh MR Physics, Arousal, Time Series Analysis, uh Valeria Della Maggiore, uh, she's in Buenos Aires, she's uh uh does motor learning and structural plasticity, DWI, uh sleep, Eduardo Garza uh, Villarreal, uh uh, he's an MD/PhD uh, from the National Institute of Neurobiology um, in in Mexico. Uh, so we're trying to be very um, also represent re- representative of yeah. the international community in the true sense. Uh, 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 Satra Gush uh, at the McGovern Institute uh, um, at at MIT at, at, in Boston. Uh, Andreas Horn at uh, um, uh, Department of Neurology and Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. He's also an MD/PhD. Uh, Renzo Huber, who we mentioned, uh, Hiromasa Takamura, who does vision neuroscience and also DTI applications, uh, uh, and also uh, you know our recent uh, Young Investigator Award winner at OHBM. Uh, uh, he's in Japan, Os- Osaka University. Uh, Sophie Vock, uh, who's a you know up and coming. Uh, or maybe pretty established, but up-and-coming researcher at the uh, Max Planck uh, Institute for Human Cognitive and Brain Sciences in, in Leipzig. She does, you know, genetics and developmental structural and functional MRI, uh, DTI, and then finally Thomas Yao, uh, who you know most of you know about. He's, you know, created his atlas. He's uh, uh, in Singapore. Uh, he's, you know, he does focuses on brain, you know, parcellation, machine learning, connectivity. So, so those are the people, and. Uh, that's the, at least the range of expertise that we're trying to cover. And, and we're flexible. I think that if, if we find that there's gaps, well, we might add an editor. Um, we find there's too much redundancy, we might take some away, who knows? Um, uh, <laughs> so the whole thing is to find synergy and, and all these people are clearly you know, well-known in the field and very engaged.
1: Yeah. And I also think that you know some of these people were working on the first iteration of the journal uh, some of them are new, based on the gaps that we identified in that first iteration of of the journal, and also again, I think uh, we did some I think heavy consultation with our oversight committee, and the oversight committee, I think, um, is something that makes this quite unique because it is oversight from OHBM from in the academic sense, uh, and so there are and you, know, you can look this up on the on the website as well. Uh, we should probably even say it apertureneuro.org, which is where oh, yeah. you can go. <laughs> which is where you can go and
0: um, oh one A- word, Yep. Yeah. Uh,
1: um, which is where you can go and look at kind of what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish, where you can submit papers, uh, and who is working for the journal. Um, but the oversight committee is an interesting one because it's people that are there just to make sure that one, we're doing our job. Uh, two, that we represent the community properly and well, and not just from an academic sense, but this kind of geographic diversity perspective as well, and that people who are coming from all over the place uh, geographically are, are represented in the journal. That was actually one of the nice, um, I don't know if you remember this last year, we had a Aperture, uh, over Aperture Neuro round Roundtable, and uh, you know definitely we had some um, people who were at the Glasgow meeting who... Came up to I think both of us after the meeting and said like oh finally a place I can afford to publish in and still get credit for it uh, from my university um, yeah. and that was that was really you know heartwarming to hear right I mean it's not it's not just for um, those of us sitting in North America and Europe who can kind of who have some money to spend on publication but how how do we help those who want to disseminate knowledge we're doing fantastic work uh, but in under resourced areas. Uh, and, and, all, and all the resources are going to the science. How do they resource, you know, paying three, four, 5,000 USD uh, for a publication? And that's probably, you know, a number of PhD students in a lab sometimes uh, yeah. in some places, right? So it's hard to justify that. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's always interesting because when people talk about open access, they think, oh, this is great. It's open access. It's <laughs> so, it's free for everyone. But, but um, you know, the money comes from somewhere. And in some weird ways, you know, open access is actually more restrictive in terms of, you know, if a lab can't afford to publish in open access, then, then it's equally as restrictive as, you know, limiting access to the papers. So, so we're trying to, you know, come up with that balance of, uh, right. I mean, and not only that, right. We have the, the $800 for members, thousand dollars for non-members, but also, you know, we have a, a part where we where we consider, uh, you know, other countries that are are uh, yeah. lower income, or even or we'll even uh, you know, and there's also a little bit of wiggle room in terms of you know if you're a lab that doesn't have much money, but you might not fall within that range. You can always email us or whatever, and and we'll we'll figure something out because our goal is to actually have it, you know, have more accessibility uh, yeah. in that regard
1: our goal is to help right i mean that's the bottom line so you no know, i think it's exciting that even the people that have um joined you know they we had a nice meeting with them the other day and there's just a lot of enthusiasm for for getting this new chapter open and ready and and uh for having people you know engage so uh you know it, it, i think we're starting on the right foot here yeah
0: yeah and we even you know we have a, a new color scheme in our papers with yeah, kind of blue and green, sort of, uh, and and uh, we had we, you know, other details. We, uh, uh, who was it? From who, the lab that came up with the logo, some talented artist.
1: <laughs> I should mention her name, Cindy uh, Cindy Garcia uh, from my lab uh, was a PhD student in my lab, and and she she had as uh, many options as there were hours in the day. It seemed like, uh, <laughs> and refining them based on. The, the whims and the and the the whims of, of a number of academics who don't do this for a living, but yeah. knew what they liked uh, and weren't, <laughs> were not afraid to say it. Uh, so she did a great job, Cindy. Uh, so I'm, I'm very proud of her and, and that this logo kind of is, is part of her PhD journey too. So that's kind of cool.
0: Yeah, that was sort of fun because, you know, you know, I, I, you know, it's funny because I, I would sort of like, we all sort of tried to come up with logos and, you know, some people would submit some i submitted some and then you know, tom nichols would be like oh that's that's horrible and i'm like okay <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know we're all sort of bouncing this each other uh against each other and, and then you know cindy came up with these and we're like hey this is this is yeah. these are pretty good <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, and it was pretty amazing. Like, could you just make it a sagittal view or an axial view or a coronal view? Or what if you did it with, you know, more of a graph representation? And I she think. had an answer for all of that. It was really, yeah. it was really impressive. It was really, really impressive. And,
0: yeah, uh, yeah. No, that was, yeah. that, that was great. That was great. Yeah. So, so that's, you know, kind of like, that sort of kind of captures sort of what we've been doing. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> not, not just the, you know, sort of trivial stuff like that, but to, but everything like that has been, you know, like bouncing off, like, you know, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? And so even things like, uh, uh, you know, copy editing or whatever, it's like, we have to find a copy editor that works with, uh, Scholastica. And then we, you know, they have sort of a package and we have to decide, okay, that seems to make sense. And how do we want our cap? You know, it's sort of like it's uh, at some point I was sort of, you know, people are confronted with this when sort of like, if they're redoing their kitchen or something, there's too many choices. Um, (laughs) And so you just don't know, like, you know, like, I don't know, like, you know, and, and it was sort of along those lines, like, you know, type setting, do you want, you know, what sort of typesetting do you want and yeah. we have this sort of thing. And, uh, and, and so there's so many decisions, uh, that, you know, we had to be sort of guided through and worked it through and, and tried to sort of make, you know, there, and there's certain things actually that are just the opposite, you know, some things we have too many options. There's certain other things That's that are you know, kind of constrained, um, like, uh, you know, the, the, the website itself is is beautiful, but it's sort of set up in a way that we have to sort of work with, um, uh, you know, all the information's there, but, um, you know, it's, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, we, we, you know, and most, for most people, it will be, uh, you won't even notice it, but for us, it's like, oh, why can't we have an extra page for this sort of thing? Yeah. And it's like, oh, that's how we set it up. And it's like, we, we work with that. So. Yeah.
1: But even and even things like migrating our previous papers and the metadata over to a new platform, right? We had to, you know, I won't go into the details, but we have to find some creative ways to, uh, you know, get the metadata out of that previous platform and into our new one so that, you know, these papers are findable. Um, and I, it's worth mentioning actually, and this is something we should have mentioned on the top, we're, we're indexed in PubMed now, right? So, you know, if you publish with Aperture Neuro, you know, that paper gets indexed in PubMed. So we're past that kind of you know early period where where new articles in a new journal don't get indexed in in PubMed. So these papers are findable um, by by anyone in, in the scientific community, which I think is really important. And and you know uh, hopefully we can build on that growth to to really sustain you know you know impact writ large, not not in the traditional ways, but uh, but you know all the ways in which we, we seek to have impact in our community. So.
0: Yeah. 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 So yeah, exactly. So all these details and, and we're, you know, we're sort of, uh, we're there, we're, and, and like I said, we're, we're, um, you know, there's, there's so many things that we're still, like I mentioned that we're still working on. Uh, but at least we're at the stage now, uh, where we're ready to get going again. And, uh, um, you know, it's like just, uh, so just to, you know, before we, before we end, we have a little bit of time. Um, Like, like, for instance, you know, at at some point I wanted to talk about your own work, but, um, uh, you know, we could save that for another podcast because it is, it is so interesting. I mean, you have this great website of, I was just looking at your website where you have all these, you know, all these atlases, uh, that you have, and you have various tools that you have and and other, other novel findings. Um, you know, how, like if you're submitting, so with your work, um, uh, you know, what, you know, would there be a situation? And obviously you're, you know, knowing that we're all biased now because we part of that. <laughs> so um, but if you were just from the outside, I mean, you know, uh, I think that people people think are like, oh, well, Aperture Nero isn't really established yet. But I mean, what does it offer that, you know, it will be established, it will grow, yeah. it will and and so what sort of aspects of your work that you think would be uniquely uh tailored uh or to Aperture Neuro as far as that's concerned?
1: Yeah, I, so I think I think there's a I mean almost everything we do can be tailored to natural aperture neuro. I think that's what's exciting to me because, you know, there's the, the, so I think my lab is sitting, you know, I, I come from a biomedical engineering background. I work in the department of psychiatry at McGill. And so my lab is somewhere, you know, in that dimension across, you know, the methods and the techniques all the way into how you uh, develop novel findings with, with these novel methods. Right. And so a lot of this stuff, you know, for example, one rabbit hole that we've gone through, gone down, and uh, you might appreciate this uh, in the last little while, is how do you properly conduct an fMRI experiment in mice? Um, which is, you know, they're small. The There's obvious uh, signal-to-noise issues. Uh, there's potentially anesthesia issues if that's the road you're going down. And If you don't go down the anesthesia ro- road uh, to anesthetize the animals when you're, when you're acquiring data, if you do it awake, you know, there's other Problems too. We know there's the well-known problems of motion and potentially problems of stress, learned helplessness in the animals. So you know, in order to work with mice, you have to think like a mouse in some ways, right? So <laughs> why why would you, if you're a mouse, why would you stay still in a scanner for half an hour while someone while the world is kind of exploding around you and you don't know what's going on? Um, so this is something we've been thinking about, you know. And so, uh, what does the data look like? Uh, you know, in, in a good data set versus a bad data set? Can we give examples of those data? Can we give code to um, analyze those data sets with? Um, things like you know, quality control issues are, are, are things that we think a lot about in my lab and how that might impact not just in functional data sets but also in structural ones too and how much those impact uh, downstream findings. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that I'm, I'm very keen on and it's something we work really hard on actually to, so that, you know, we can stand by everything that we publish you know and, and we've seen in the field like work by by jonathan power and, and ted sather's weight on just on what does good you know data look like yeah. uh is so impactful uh and it's yeah. so important um probably more important than maybe even they thought it would be when they started working on those things um and so we th- we think a lot about those things too but then the code that supports it uh to find good data sets and and you know uh cut kind out of bad ones, um, that would be, a, you know, and a lot of our, one thing that I'm, I'm really proud of, as you mentioned before is we've been doing a lot of work on kind of, you know, treatment response in animal models and how that might integrate with with things we see in, in human populations. And so those are interesting papers and, you know, some of, like imaging neuroscience, I think would be another venue that would support that, but certainly, you know, some of the technical aspects of how we actually acquire that data Make a, a, you know, the analysis tools and that side of my lab actually is really interesting. Well, obviously, I think it's interesting, but what I find is that um, unlike the human imaging world, the animal imaging world, we're in this phase where, you know, if you want, if you want to do some analysis or if you want to acquire data, you're basically doing it from scratch like there's not a lot of off there are some but there aren't a lot of off-the-shelf tools to to support all that so how do you standardize those As the recent paper by joe grandjean and nature neuroscience talking about kind of harmonization but there's for every one of those papers there's still all these little glue pieces that you have to figure out which you yeah. know might sound familiar to you <laughs> um uh, so I, I, you know, I, th- I think all those things are are worth exposing so that people can benefit from, from what we've done. That's just one piece. But I think, you know, everything from kind of the more traditional hypothesis driven research questions that we ask around schizophrenia or Alzheimer's disease, that could be, you know, easily something that we would want to uh, have here too. Right. So.
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems that more. Yeah. It, it, so that's perfect. I mean, yeah, I think that, uh, um, you know, it, when you have information that you produce i mean you it's sure it's you, you want to emphasize you initially you, you emphasize how it's novel but at the same time to actually have it be useful uh it's not just you can't just read a paper and and from that paper and, and then just do it i mean i think that there's there's other levels of publishing where like you said it's like you give sort of a perspective and a tutorial on the, on some of the aspects of, of
1: you know yeah you that's, that's a great that's a great point and i think that would be um that's really critical I, I think how we now how do we educate one another on on the good stuff we're doing I think that's like a nice way of thinking about this journal right yeah. not just uh, competing for you know you know intellectual primacy or something like that more about how do we move the field forward together which I think right. goes back to this idea of OHbm being really exciting and a place where we I think that is the culture around most of the meeting it's it's about sharing knowledge not about you know Trying to declare that this part of the world is mine now because i was the first with this finding and i think that that does i think differentiate our community from a lot of other neuroscientific communities in in a a really important way Um, yeah
0: yeah i completely agree i completely agree i think that yeah i mean right the field gets moved forward in different ways sometimes it's it is a novel finding that opens things up but but most of the time uh, if you really want to get traction it's like you have to ratchet it forward with shared information and shared expertise and shared, you know, uh, uh, this has to be disseminated. Like, I mean, even just a basic thing, like, you know, fMRI is uh, wonderful for, uh, you know, looking at brain function and looking at doing research. But, uh, you know, aside from a few applications, it's not really a clinically useful thing. And and I think part of that is just partially because, you know, the, the methods are, you know, one, the methods haven't been disseminated enough, uh, uh and, and maybe the, the, the level of expertise hasn't been, uh, spread through. But also I think that, um, you know, for instance, we're always looking for biomarkers. Uh, you know, I, it's almost a bad word now. He's saying biomarkers, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, but you know, I, and there's various studies that do this and, and, and having, you know, more of a community that has these tools that can work with their populations, I think will uh, push us forward a little bit more meaningfully than just simply, you know, isolated studies here and there sort of suggesting something, so.
1: Yeah, and you're you're seeing it emerge too, like after decades of having, you know, fMRI acquisition, fMRI analysis tools available, you know, in the the brain stimulation world, for example, fMRI, you know, across different labs now, not just one or two, uh fmri is becoming a tool of choice for targeting right uh and that i think is you know if if you're going to ask what are the what are the wins for neuroimaging and functional mri that's a huge one that's an impact you know people are opening clinics based on personalized fmri signatures right which is probably even five six ten years ago we wouldn't have even imagined uh i I, to me that's exciting demonstration of where we could where we could be in the next you know five, Five, ten years, and that—that's also just taking, um, a, you know, in some cases a common idea like lesion mapping, you know, like championed by Mike Fox, uh, or the individualized connectomes championed by, I guess, Randy Buckner originally, but then uh, moving forward to Andrew Zaleski and then showing that you could use these as personalized biomarkers for for treatment administration. I mean, that's f- so important. Yeah, um, so I, we're we're getting there. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah. And
0: uh, yeah. And and yeah. Certainly. Um, yeah. And once again, it's it's really is. It would be nice. You know, it's so much easier if instead of trying to reproduce something from a paper, having the code, having a paper that describes where the code is. Yeah. You just the paper. It's a one. You know, source, and you simply get the code or the data or you know try it out and get it. You know, a lot. So much of the field is is. You know, it's a craft. It's like you know, it's a, a matter of getting a certain expertise. And, and this, we want this. And as you mentioned before, it's like a, you 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 want this journal to uh, to be able to you know, you're thinking of the field as a whole, as opposed to um, you know, any one group or any one area. You're yeah. trying to push the field itself. And yeah. this is this is the sort of missing ingredient I feel uh, in terms of helping that
1: move yeah. forward. No, I mean, exactly. Like these clinical application pieces of code, if they were readily available, that'd be great if, you know, in in any context, uh, same thing with all the bits and pieces that we run in the preclinical side. And then, you know, and even, um, even the merging things like imaging transcriptomics has now been around for a little while, but there's so many different flavors of how people can run this stuff. Uh, um, Oh, there's, you know, we have choices galore (laughs) in our field, right? And that's, a good thing and sometimes a challenging thing right and uh how we talk about those things is is really really important um yeah. you know i don't know if we're all ever standardized per se but at least we can be open about what we found when we were doing what we did um and what those choices mean i think that's really exciting yeah
0: yeah and ultimately right you like to, the and this is why we try to you know what we want, like, you know, clinicians in on, a, on the yeah. conversation, you want uh, basic researchers, you want physicists, engineers. Um, yeah. And, and this is a place where they can all exchange this information. Yeah. Okay. So, so what do you see as just a final, the final question, um, you know, as far as the future directions, we talked a little bit about, you know, moving in the direction of obviously better or trying to actually figure out, you know, how to best. And and if anyone in the audience that you're listening has some insightful idea on how to best handle, you know, code, data, notebooks, whatever, let us know. Um, We're open to suggestions as we're we're developing these things. Um, So what do you see as uh, uh, sort of the other future challenges uh, or other future directions? I mean, of course, we're always trying to also talk to people who work with brain hack at yeah. HBM or uh, maybe neuro Libre or, or other things, but um, yeah. What, what do you see as like the, the, the challenges going forward?
1: I think in general, I mean, thinking about the idea of publication comes from when we like would get a magazine in the mail and you'd put it on a shelf and then you'd bind the years, you know, magazines, and then that would be in a library somewhere. Right. Um, and so, the concept itself, the model itself is so incredibly outdated considering you know we get it on as a PDF. Um, you know, and, and even the way we used to do review, I mean, it's all based on the idea that like uh, an editor might call you or actually mail you a letter and ask you to review a right. manuscript and send yeah. your manuscript in the mail to review, and then you <laughs> send something like, but it is based on that model, right? And it's just been revamped for the internet. Um so I think it'd be great to have a model of, I mean, I'm really sticking my neck out here. Uh, and this is not gonna, you know, for anyone listening, this is not gonna be a tomorrow <laughs> problem, but this is gonna be a, a future problem uh, uh, once we get more things up and running. But thinking about, you know, what is a 2023 or a 2025 or 2026 review model of a paper really look like, right? And what does a research object in 2026 really look like? Is, is it is it a static thing? Is that a dy- dy- dynamic thing? Is it a, is it something that's happening in a series, right? Like you, you have your initial publication, but then you have somehow you have a follow-up or someone else has a follow-up on that initial publication in a real meaningful way. So you actually create lines and, you know, think of threads of research almost that exist on the internet that are interconnected explicitly. Um, and I think we have, but this, you know, as I say this out loud, you, everybody can see that this is, you know, uh, in terms of service, this is like an incredible problem. So how do we pick apart at least at pieces of this so that we can innovate, I think, in terms of publishing and then continue to be, I think, um, considered forward thinking, you know, not just in science, not just in neuroscience or neuroimaging, but in science as, as a group of people who, who actually innovated in how we disseminate information. Um, but I think more and more, you know, you've seen other journals think about just the review model, right? E life is a great example. I think that's such a fascinating. You know, there's varied opinions on that, and you know, there's and and it's important to acknowledge that there's probably you know goodwill on on either side of that of that debate. Um, but you know, but still, I think it still speaks to a need to fundamentally rethink how how we spend our time. You know, how we spend our time. In order to maximize benefit for science and for each other right so so that conversations that we have aren't just in the lab but they're they're ongoing over time and between labs uh and between research objects i think you know that that, that's a big problem uh it's a big problem to tackle but i think it's an exciting one to think about as we kind of think about you know if we think this of as the v1 of aperture neuro is there like a v1.1 1.2 and 2.0 that, that, that really tackle some of these issues. And I think, uh, you know, you know, open to discussion and I'd love to hear you know, any comments that people have on, on any aspects of these things, I think, I don't know if that's maybe biting off way too much and committing too much, the no, of the no, podcast but I think, uh, I, I do think that's like where, you know, in the ideal world, that's where I'd like to see things going.
0: Yeah. And I think that, uh, and one thing we've learned though, too, is that, um, And as mentioned before, is that, you know, I'm all for that as well. I mean, I think everyone has that. This is what what's good about this journal is that we are really we have the flexibility to do this, but at the same time, we've learned the lesson of, you know, we're not going to change things so rapidly that, you know, things are uh, lose their functionality. So we're just going to we're going to do it very carefully. But at the same time, I think all these ideas are on the table. Yeah. you know, things like, yeah, I mean, other things too, like, right, how do you update a review model? Can we have commentary, like, attached to the paper? Could we have, like, some sort of a Reddit sort of up upda- up upvote, downvote of papers, you know, have it very organic and, and uh, you know, community-driven? Who knows? Uh, we're, we're still grappling with these, and I'm sure there's many experts in the field who could help, uh, so uh, looking to that,
1: so. Yeah, I think what we've learned is that every change you make comes with about a thousand decisions uh yeah. to make alongside that so um, you know that that's also worth remembering when we when we think about these more idealistic models of of publication i think
0: yeah yeah i mean there might even i can imagine right um you know it, it could be modular to some degree there could be an aperture but it could be like a an aperture beta sort of version that yeah. people could <laughs> there we go <laughs> I don't know. I'm getting into trouble just talking about this, but I could, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, know this is gonna, Speaking of like living on the internet, this will live forever and we'll be held accountable. So, <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but okay. So, but either way, this has been great. Um, I think you've, you've given, you know, I think that the, the journal's in great hands with yourself, with the editors, uh, you know, we have a good platform that's solid, that's established, uh, and uh, we're, we're all sort of engaged as far as that's concerned and and yeah I think that uh, we're all really excited uh, about getting things going again and you know what what service this could provide to the yeah. community and uh, so yeah looking forward once again the aperture aperture neuro uh, uh, reopening is on July 10th and uh, go to aperture and also at the website there's there's a link somewhere in there that says, if you're interested in being a reviewer, just, you can click on that. You can add your name to the database um, and yeah, just uh, you can contact Alara, myself or the journal manager uh, to, you know, uh, uh, if any other ideas or thoughts.
1: Yeah. I mean, the journal will just scale to the community participation that we get. Um, and that's, you know, that's how we make it our own. I think that's really important to remember. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. All right. Well. well well, thanks. Thanks for spending the time. Thanks, Peter. And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to the future. Uh,
1: yeah, likewise. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me here.
0: Neurosalience is brought to you by the Organization for Human Brain Mapping. This week's episode was produced by Alfie Wine and Stefania Asimopoulos.